as we give our children more information, it increases the likelihood of them staying true to the principles. But we've got to give them a roadmap of what that looks like. Welcome to the Strategic Families Podcast, where we challenge your family to be rooted in God's Word, energized with gospel-centered purpose, and activated on mission for His kingdom. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Families Podcast. I am so excited about today's topic and our guest, Monica Irvin. Our topic today is so relevant and practical and really critical to our children's upbringing. We're diving into the topic of courtship and dating. If your kids are little, you may be tempted to skip this one, but I'd urge you to stay tuned in. I really think it's never too early to be strategic on this front with our kids. Yes, you can pray for your infant daughter's one-day husband to be a godly man. So my guest today is author and speaker Monica Irvin, founder of The Etiquette Factory, a ministry designed to equip us to help other people feel valued. And you're going to want to take some mental notes on this one because today she's going to talk to us about helping others feel valued in courtship and dating for our kids. Monica has amazing ideas on ways we can be successful in this arena. But these aren't just tips. Monica has so much wisdom that's based in her own experiences raising her three sons. And I've loved getting to learn from her on this topic. I'm sure you're going to love it too. Monica really urges us as parents to take seriously how we communicate with our kids on this topic and help them plan all to give them the best chance to honor God and all members of the opposite sex as they grow. What a fantastic concept. We're also splitting this topic into two episodes. There's so much good content here. I don't want you to miss any of it. So this is part one of two and we'll post part two next week. Okay, so before we get into the interview, we have a small announcement to make. No, we're not pregnant. That would be a big announcement. But seriously, Katie and I have loved podcasting. But one of the difficult things about podcasting is that you can put all this content out there and then have very little idea on how it's landing with your listeners. Are the topics relevant? Do you have questions on it? Are there other things that you'd like to explore? In short, if you're listening, we'd love to hear from you. And I have to admit, I'm still learning Facebook myself, but this is probably the easiest way to make this happen. So we've created a private group on our Facebook page to get the conversation going. Just go to facebook.com slash strategic families and click on groups and you'll see a group called Strategic Families Gathering. We would love to get a conversation going with you about how to raise a family that honors Christ. And we'd love to interact with you on things you're finding helpful, new topics you'd like to explore, questions you have about implementing certain tools or resources. I think today's topic would be a perfect example, as I'm sure many of you have strong feelings about dating and courtship. So please check out that group and join us. It would be so awesome to get to know you and learn from you. Okay, last couple of housekeeping items. I mentioned this each episode, but wanted to put an exclamation point on it this time. If you're a regular listener, we would appreciate it so much if you could take just a quick second and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you have already, thank you so much. Okay, on with the show. Well, Monica Irvin, welcome to the Strategic Families Podcast. Thank you. (laughs) I'm glad to be here. Excellent. So could you just introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell us who you are. Tell us about your ministry. And of course, tell us all about your family. Well, so I'm Monica. I'm a mother, a wife, a believer. I am a retired homeschool mom. So my youngest son just turned 26. (laughs) Five. <laughs> here going, wait, how old is he? And uh, and so we've got boys from 35 down to 25. And we have two grandchildren. I live in Tennessee with my husband Charles. 
And uh, yeah, I own a company called The Etiquette Factory. I've had The Etiquette Factory officially since 2010. And I was running some little unofficial manners camps for kids before I incorporated and, and became the Etiquette Factory. But so I've been teaching etiquette a long time. And it's interesting because uh, it is a ministry. And I didn't quite realize that it was a ministry when I started because I really just was trying to teach my kids to be more polite and to think about others more. But then as time went on and as I continued to teach more and more principles of kindness, uh, the results of that was realizing that ultimately what we're doing is teaching people to be more like Jesus Christ. Mm. And so that's when it really kind of came to a ministry title in, in my mind. And it's interesting. I don't only teach children. I go into companies and I teach business etiquette, um, professionalism, customer service, mm -hmm. sexual harassment, all kinds of, uh, you know, professional topics. And often after I teach a workshop uh, to a business, I'll have one or two people come up and say, I felt like I just was at the best sermon I have ever been to. And why is that? And I realized that we know that truth comes from God. That's the only source of all truth. And so when we teach principles that are based in gospel principles, it's from God and people feel that even if they don't know God and even if they don't know why it feels like a sermon, it's because they're hearing truth. So it's been so rewarding for me to teach the principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the etiquette factory. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah, I think about that part of Jesus' prayer in John 17, where he says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Um, so yeah, that's that's awesome. Beautiful. Um, yeah, and our own family, I didn't tell you this before we started, but our own family has used Etiquette Factory. Uh, I, I think we, we've got one of your books. And so my wife is, you know, talking to our kids, we homeschool our kids. And so we're talking about where the fork goes and, you know, where different plates go and, you know, not to put too much in your mouth. So I'll say this, I'm still learning. So I'm <laughs> thankful for the Etiquette Factory. So I know what we're going to, what we're going to talk about today is uh, a form of etiquette but it, it goes a lot deeper and I'm so excited about this topic and I just love your heart on this and um, am really looking forward to, to getting your thoughts on it. Before we do, I'm wondering if you could just expound a little bit on Etiquette Factory uh, a little more. You talked about the business side of it. How did you get started with Etiquette Factory? And then, you know, why is this such a passion of yours? And then also maybe just give us a definition of like, what do we even mean by etiquette? I think that means different things to different people. Absolutely. Well, it started when uh, me and my youngest son were studying the life of George Washington. And my son was nine years old at the time. And it was important to me. I wanted my kids to be polite. Like, is there a parent on this planet that doesn't want their children to be polite? Right. I don't think so. But I, we were reading his life and stumbled upon his um rules of civility and decent behavior. Uh, yeah. Basically, that's a list of 110 chivalry skills or rules that George Washington penned out of a French book. And his tutor at the time, supposedly told 
uh, George Washington to put these to memory. And so he wrote these out and we actually have a copy of those 110 chivalry, chivalry skills uh, in the Smithsonian in his handwriting. Mm -hmm. And so whether he memorized them or not, you know, we don't know, but he took the time to write them all down. And so as my son and I started reading over these skills, I'm sure more me than my son, my nine-year-old son, I just was struck because many of them are so relevant today. And I started thinking, wow, I mean, if I could get my children to memorize one skill a week, the same reason we have our children memorize scripture, then maybe in the moment when needed, it will pop into their mind and they'll be more polite. And so that was my goal. And that's what I started doing. We started trying to memorize one chivalry skill a week. And it was a little difficult just because it's written in old English. And of course, our vocabulary today in America is so pitiful. And so even me and my son were having to look up a few things. But I said, well, let me just rewrite a, a modern day version of how I would say it in, in my own Tennessee uh, vocabulary. And so I did. And what happened, though, what was surprising to me is that as my son and I started working on these little skills, I immediately started noticing a difference. And our older children had already graduated. And so it was really and I taught our kids, all of our kids manners. But what was also interesting is my youngest son liked it. He was excited to learn it. And I started noticing a difference in his behavior. And I really was just surprised by it. Like, really, this is all it takes is to talk about it. And and it took a while. But basically what I learned is that most of us as parents, when we when we go to teach our children a character trait, a manner skill, you know, usually we tend to do it in the moment when our kids make a mistake. Let's say for manners instance, our, our child says something like tells grandma her breath smells bad. And then you and I are like, honey, you cannot you say that, that to grandma. Uh, that's so rude. And then we have this moment of trying to teach them why that behavior was inappropriate. And I knew that that's what I did a lot of time. I was constantly correcting. And that's why our kids feel like mom and dad are always fussing at them when we're, and even though we're trying to be really polite about it, like, honey, you really can't say that or do that. It's still a correction. And regardless of how old you are, when we start being corrected, we tend to kind of toughen up, you know, it's called a hardening of the heart. It's a defense where we we get a little prideful because how often do we think when we're correcting our children, are our children sitting there going, what is dad trying to get me to understand? He really is. I mean, they just, I'm not saying that never happens, but typically they're more worried about being fussed at. And so when I changed and when I started making this a part of our school day, it's the same reason we have morning devotion, mm -hmm. you know, just because to try to talk about these things in a positive way, it made all the difference. So the definition that we use for etiquette at the etiquette factory is etiquette is helping those around us to feel valued and comfortable. Yeah. And if I can't 
show you how an etiquette skill doesn't do that, then to me, it's not a true etiquette skill. Right. Because the only purpose in etiquette is to help people feel valued. Mm. But I think it's a skill. I believe most people want to be kind. And every morning, most of us wake up with every intention of being kind today. But then so why do we run into conflict? And I think it's because we don't always have all the skills we need of kindness. The more skills we learn, it's easier to show kindness when we truly understand how our words matter, then we're more aware of what we say and the messaging that we're sending. Mm -hmm. So we try to help kids and families understand their messaging. Mm -hmm. Right. That's, that's excellent. I love that you talked about etiquette as a skill. I haven't really thought of it that way. It just sort of seems like, oh, there's a list over here that you should do and not do. And, and that's, that's pretty anemic Mm -hmm. view of it. It's no, this is about helping other people around you feel valued. I love that definition. That's, that's beautiful. And that's, you know, that's, that's part of what we can do as followers of Christ is confer on other people, the dignity that they are as image bearers of God. We're all created in his image. And by focusing on etiquette and building that skill, we can help other people feel valued, which may open open up opportunities for the gospel. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that can come through that. So anyway, I love, I love the intention behind it. And that's another thing that I'm hearing you say is that, you know, a lot of times as parents, I know, I know I do this too. I'm so guilty of that, of just, you know, addressing something in the moment and boom, you know, I, I addressed it. Now they know it. Well, they don't, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And we have to do it outside of the moment, outside of the heat of the moment. And like you said, teach it as a positive skill that can be learned. I, I love that. That's, that's so cool. So um, you, you basically already addressed my next question, which is great. So let's turn now to courtship and dating. Um, and I know you you talked in the in the webinar that you did that you know in some sense this is a, this is an issue of semantics whether we want to co- talk about courtship or dating. But I wonder if it's even useful. Do you think we should? Uh, can we define those terms? Is one more valuable than the other? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, the only reason I like to address the terms is because what I have found is in a lot of churches it is preached. For instance, that courtship is the way of God and dating is the way of the world. And so it's interesting to me because I've, I've had so many parents come up and will say something like, oh, my kids are not allowed to date. That's of Satan or that's sinful. Um, my children will only be allowed to court. And and sometimes I think it's interesting because we get caught up in these definitions and perhaps my definition of dating is completely different than your definition of dating or courtship also. And so one of the things I try to just start out by saying is, could we all just relax a little bit and not let a word become evil? Words are not evil. You know, the the meaning in the heart is what can become twisted and can be under the influence of the adversary. And so Most of us parents, I don't want to say most, but most Christian parents want the same things. We want our children to honor God. We want our children to honor God by honoring his teachings and his principles. And we know that when we honor God, it does not mean you have a carefree life or a life without trials. 
But what it does is it increases it increases the likelihood of happiness because we know that happiness is coincides with being at peace with God. Hmm. And because you know, happiness is really not dependent on the circumstance of our life, but happiness and joy comes from the purpose of our life. And so we can, that's why we can be happy even in the midst of a storm because of the purpose of our life, which mm. is to be at one with God. Mm. And so I, I sometimes think that Christians can get a little um, sidetracked in, in pointing fingers literally at other Christians and other churches like, oh, y'all use the dating word or y'all use the courtship word. And so I try to just go, can we just forget about what we call it. And let's talk about what we're going to do, what it's yeah. going to look like in our family. And if our plan with our family honors God. Mm. And so yeah, yeah. I try to not worry about it, but I will tell you what I define to me, courtship and dating is the same thing. And so what I defined a date, how we as a family defined a date when our children were under the age of 18 was a well-planned activity with someone of the opposite sex. That was just the definition of it. And we'll go into that more as you and I talk a little bit more. Good. That's helpful. Yeah. I think, I think sometimes we are dealing with semantics and sometimes we put a Christian spin on a, on a, <laughs> an existing word when we maybe don't have to. Okay. So I, I'm really, I, I would love for you to sort of make the case. Let's say, you know, I'm a parent and I think like, I, I don't, I don't want to talk about this stuff. Like it, it's just, it's, it's getting too personal. It gets awkward. Like, do we really have to talk about this? Why can't, why can't we just let kids figure it out for themselves? How do you respond to that? Why should we be so strategic in, in this realm? Well, basically it comes from hundreds of conversations that I've had throughout the years and I'll give you some examples of very typical conversations that I have with parents. So I'll have a parent come up and say something like, my child, we never allowed my child to date. They were not allowed to date or court. Once again, use the words interchangeably. They were not allowed to do that until they were 18. Um, but I didn't know that my child was secretly texting a boy. You know, I have a daughter. And we didn't know that they were secretly, they went to homeschool co-op together and they were secretly a couple, but because we didn't allow our child to date, we were never told. Or what happens is I get a lot of, so many stories where parents have had very strict, no dating, no courtship at all until they leave home, you know, at 18 or whatever. And then these Christian conservative kids go off to college with little to no experience for obvious reasons, because they've come from such a conservative home and they get to college and they know what they're not supposed to do. Like they've been taught supposedly where the moral lines are. Mm -hmm. They know that the expectations are to live a chaste life and to be clean and chaste until you get married. And that's when you can experience sexual relations. But then what happens, they get to college and they 
They know what they're not supposed to do, but they don't really know what to do. And so the Mm. most common activity that boys and girls do at conservative colleges and really colleges in general is they go to each other's apartment, dorm, whatever, to watch a movie. Why? Well, because they don't know what else to do and they don't have a lot of money. And so they go to each other's house and say, hey, you want to come over and watch a movie tonight? And so they do. And there really could not be a more dangerous thing Mm. for two Christian, conservative, innocent Mm. young adults to do together. And so but that's what they fall back to because they've never been taught how to plan a safe, fun, inexpensive activity where you can honor God and have a really good time doing it. Right, right. And so for us as a family, I did not want our children to leave home with no experience. I wanted them to gain a little experience while their father and I could be right there beside them overseeing this and teaching them what it means to be an honorable gentleman. Now, we've got three sons, and so I realize uh, we did not have daughters, but um, it all of the principles that we taught are for both sexes, and it sure. equally applies to both. And so I think as we talk about this, um, exactly how we went about that, it will make more sense. But I, I think that we operate a lot of times Christians operate from fear. We're so afraid of what our kids might do. And what I learned is that as we give our children more information, it increases the likelihood of them staying true to the principles, but we've got to give them a roadmap of what that looks like. Another thing that really helped, I believe helps so much in raising our children It's one thing to teach children to be true, to protect themselves. You know, like we teach our children gospel principles because we want them to honor and obey the Lord. But as I, as our children aged, I, I tried, we tried to put the responsibility on them to help other people honor God the people in their circle, because I found that when our sons felt the responsibility to help their friends honor God, it actually was more inspirational to them than just honoring, trying to keep themselves clean. And so every time our kids headed out the door, we would give gentle reminders about their responsibility to protect their friends, boys and girls. And the thing is, is I think those are divine responsibilities like towards gentlemen. I I believe God designed men to be divine spiritual and physical protectors of women and their families. And that's why When you help your boys realize that divine potential, that's why they feel so good when they're doing it. That's why if my son chooses not to go into a young lady's home because her parents are not home, 
that he doesn't choose not to go into her home because, oh, I better not go into her home because mom and dad would kill me. But I want him to not go into the home because, oh, I wouldn't want to do anything to dishonor her or to put her reputation at risk Mm. because I want to protect her spiritually and physically. And I found that my boys were so much more likely to want to be that guy than to worry about being the guy for themselves. Does that make sense? That's beautiful. (laughs) It doesn't just make sense. That's beautiful. That's, uh, that's, that is profound. That's really, really powerful. Yeah. I, I remember as a young man, I kind of, I, I had this, um, this phrase, I, I kind of repeated that every young woman was another man's daughter and potentially another man's wife. If young ladies can think of every man as another, another mom's son and potentially another woman's husband. I mean, that, that kind of, that changes things dramatically. And I love what you said about honoring and avoiding even the, you know, like in that case, I mean, even if nobody, even if he wouldn't get in trouble, I mean, just the, the appearance of it, he wants to avoid that and just conferring honor on young women that way. That's, that is awesome. I love that. There's something you touched on. You didn't use the word fear, but I know you did in your webinar and I, I would love for you to expound on that a little bit. Cause I know one of the things that can hold parents back from having these really important conversations. Sometimes we, you know, we just don't want to touch the topic. It's going to be too awkward, but some of it is fear too. And I wonder if you could address that because you, you mentioned in that webinar about how we don't have anything to fear on this topic, but we do need to be prepared and we need to be aware of the schemes of the enemy. Can you talk about that a little bit? I can, uh, you know, so first of all, let's identify what our fear is. Our fear is our children will engage in inappropriate, we're going to label it inappropriate, but, you know, sexual behaviors before their marriage. I mean, come on, that's the bottom line mm-hmm. fear, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and so then we, there's this fear that talking about it with our children is going to pique their interest. And I think what we've got to realize as Christians is, We are not the creators. God is the one who created our children and us. He's the one who instilled in us a desire to have sexual relations with someone. And there's a divine purpose in that. That purpose is to bind a husband and wife together and to create life. Those are two divine purposes. Hmm. So, There's nothing you can, I mean, I shouldn't say there's nothing, but you talking about it with your children isn't what piques their interest. It's God. And so God's the one that instills those desires in our children. They're supposed to have those desires that will come as they age because that's who they were created to become. So what our job is, is to recognize the those beautiful desires and to help them realize when and how to use those powers, the powers of procreation, mm. the powers of being sealed to your spouse. Those are divine powers. And so it's okay to talk about it. And it's okay to get our kids excited about those, that future relationship for them. Yeah. And so a lot of times parents are so fearful about how to go about doing this. And I'm, I guess, because I'm one of, I'm a list person. I like to have a a real specific plan and probably it's so I can feel better about myself because (laughs) when I 
and check, check it off. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Monica's doing something. Good. <laughs> and I, I was the same way as a parent. And that's just the truth. And so I like to have the plan. But let me just give you a quick example of, of two principles of, of this idea of preparing our children. So number one, uh, one of the things that we did have some rules, of course, and one rule in our family was that our children were not allowed to be in a committed relationship with someone until they were old enough to be married. And so that meant that they weren't allowed to have a girlfriend or if you have a daughter, she's not allowed to have a boyfriend until she's old enough to get married. And legally that was 18 years old. Of course, we hope they wait longer than that, but that's that when they turn 18, it becomes out of our (laughs) hands. And so, but let me give you an example of of many hundreds of conversations I would have with our children we would have with our children regarding this principle. So for instance, because our children were not allowed to be in a committed relationship, we also did not want them having physical affection. Of course, that meant hugging, kissing, holding hands. And so I'll give you an example of a conversation with a child that would be very typical. I'd say, sons, let's imagine that you had this friend who was a girl and you and this girl decided to start holding hands. And on Monday, you were holding this girl's hand walking down the street. Well, on Friday, you were with another friend who was a girl and you wanted to hold her hand. And so you started holding her hand. Now, if the Monday girl saw you holding hands with the Friday girl, do you think the Monday girl would be upset? And my boys would be like, yes, mom. Well, why? I mean, does it say in the Bible, thou shalt not hold hands? No, mom. Is it a sin to hold hands? No, I don't think so. Well, so what's the big deal? Who cares if you hold hands? Well, because holding hands is a symbol of some type of commitment. Mm. No, maybe it doesn't mean you're getting married tomorrow, but it still shows some level of a committed relationship. And that's why we discourage you from even holding hands because that would lend itself to a committed relationship and you're not allowed to be in a committed relationship. So my point is we would have lots of conversations like what's the big deal with holding hands? What's the big deal with hugging and kissing or and that type of behavior? And so we had lots of conversations like that. Um, now, when our kids turned 17, a year before they, they left home, we allowed them to take young ladies out on a single date. And it was very well planned. And so, to be honest, I can't go into all of the little rules that we had, but we can. I can show you where to find those later. But I'm going to give you just a couple examples. Um, and so, It was so fun for us to be involved in planning these dates. And and the truth is, the more we helped our sons plan, the better they got at it. And so, for instance, we had a couple of rules, though, to help cut down on the potential for a desire to be in a committed relationship. And we tried to have different rules to cut down on the temptation for physical affection with these planned activities. So for instance, one of the rules was that when our sons returned a a girl to the home uh, after a scheduled date, 
he was not allowed to drop her at the door. He had to physically walk her inside the home and hand her over to her mother or father, preferably the father. Why? Well, because first of all, we wanted to just cut out the whole door scene. Uh, Should I hug her? Should I shake her hand? Whatever. We just wanted to cut that out. But secondly, is we wanted our sons to have to look that parent in the eye and account for their activity together. And what that did is it was very powerful. It was very powerful. Our our sons knew that they were going to be accountable at the end of the activity to that young lady's parent. What I didn't expect to happen is the many phone calls and text messages I got throughout the years from a father, from a father and mother that would say something like, can we go ahead and prearrange this marriage? (laughs) Because they saw the steps that were being taken to protect their daughter. One time, another little rule that we had is is our sons were not allowed to text a young lady and just say, hey, do you want to go to our church activity Friday night with me and my family? But they had to first call the father, um, if there was a father, hopefully, and say, would it be okay with you if I invited Sarah to this bonfire that our church youth are having Saturday just as friends They always said that. They knew they had to say that because that was the intention is just to build strong, healthy relationships. That was the purpose of these planned activities is to learn how to plan safe activities with people, women, you know, someone of the opposite sex. So then once they were given permission, then they would invite the young lady. Now, they were never allowed to take a young lady to any activity if they had not met the parent. Well, the truth is 99% of the young ladies that our kids would take out, we knew them. We knew their parents because we went to church with them. They were in our youth group and whatnot. But one time my son had come home from co-op and he said, hey, mom, I want to invite this young lady to this activity. And I didn't know her. She was at our our homeschool co-op and I just didn't know her family, which was fine. So my son went ahead and went through the process, called the father, da-da-da-da. Well, he, he gets to the door of this young lady's home and the young lady comes to the door and she's like, oh, hey, you know, and started to come out. And my son goes, oh, I'm sorry, but I know I talked to your dad, but I actually have to meet meet your mom or dad before we leave. And she's like, oh, they're not home. They're not, uh, they're not home from work yet, um, but it's okay. You know, they, they know we're going. And so my son kind of was in a panic because that was our rule. So he, he goes, would you hold on a second? And he texts me and he goes, mom, what am I supposed to do? Her mom or dad are not here. And I, and I was like, just go ahead. You know, because I didn't know the family well. And of course I didn't want to embarrass this young lady. Sure, I go, yeah. just go to the activity and you know, it's okay. What was so funny is that night when my son came home, he comes into our room and he's like, mom, dad, what father would let their daughter go out with a guy that he has not met? And he just was so shocked by that. And it was things like that, that made me realize he was starting to get it. He was starting to get the responsibility that he had taking care of these young ladies for an hour or two or so. And, and he felt, they felt very responsible for that. Wow. That is so cool. I love the idea of giving an account 
And, and, you know, there's nothing, if everything was honoring, there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to be scared of. You just say, here's what we did. And thank you for allowing me to take your daughter. I just love that. That is, that's amazing. All right. Sorry to cut that off so abruptly there, but that was part one of two with Monica Urban. And there's so much more great content to come from this interview. To give you a sneak peek next week, she'll get into one of the best ways to motivate your son or daughter toward purity. So that's really cool. She also shares a couple of really fun stories about dates, both of them involving something I had never heard of before. Uh, She also gets into how to be gracious to our kids and let them know we're in their corner. If they fail, we know we live in a fallen world. And she has just really important advice on this front that you're going to want to hear. So make sure to tune in next week to hear the rest of it. So while you're waiting on part two, make sure to head on over to that Facebook group at facebook.com slash strategic families and click on groups and look for strategic families gathering. We'd love to get your questions and feedback on what you've heard so far on this topic or really any other parenting topic. So here's a challenge for you this week also. One of the things Monica urges us to do, and you'll hear about this in part two, is go about this in community. Maybe share this episode with someone else in your circle who's in a similar stage of life. When we do it together in community, it's so much more powerful than trying to just go about it within our own families. Okay, so my song recommendation for you this week is a song called Yet Not I, But Through Christ In Me by the group City Alight. Wow, I love this song. It's got the feel of a modern hymn and it's just so powerful. Here are a few lines that I love. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won and I shall overcome. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. And of course, don't keep this to yourself. Crank it up for your kids and worship with them. Okay, that's all for today. We'll see you next week for part two with Monica Irvin.